have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 9, verse 35, and we'll pick up there in a moment. Uh, We are starting a new series today that will take us uh, basically up to Christmas. And the new series is all about a witness and cultural renewal. Uh, What does it look like for the church to flourish in an increasingly secular age? Uh, What does it look like to become an effective and prophetic witness to a culture that wants less and less to do with Christianity? Uh, How do we uh, reach, touch, transform a culture that is increasingly post-Christian? Uh, Those are some of the questions that we're going to be wrestling with uh, through this series and the months to come as we both analyze the culture that we live in uh, the same way that a missionary would in any culture or context, but also dream uh, about what it looks like to see uh, the church and the culture uh, on fire for God, to see renewal, to see revival, to, to see both church and culture be reawakened to the truth and beauty of God. So we'll kick things off this morning in Matthew 9, verse 35. Uh, Here's what it says. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning uh, in the midst of uh, a fascinating cultural moment, a very difficult uh, cultural moment, but we uh, come asking for you to renew us individually, to renew our community, to renew uh, kind of the capital C church in Spokane, uh, and through it, Lord, uh, to really renew our city, to grab hold of the culture once again and reverse so many of the trends that we've seen over the last few decades. And Lord, we know that in the midst of this, there's a very real war that's playing out around us, a war of ideas, a war of ideologies, uh, a very real spiritual battle that the scriptures behind, that describe behind the scenes. And yet, Jesus, we see you enthroned over all of those things. The one who already holds victory in his hands, the one who will bring this age uh, to, to its culmination, and, and bring us into the age to come. And so we look to you, Jesus, and we ask that you would come and touch and transform, starting with us, starting with our ideas, starting with our minds, starting with our hearts, and moving outward from there into the world. That's how you've always done it, and it works. So we invite you to do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a myth being circulated in our culture, one that is so widespread, so taken for granted, that most of us sitting here this morning likely believe it. And the myth sounds something like this. Christianity peaked in the medieval period, which we pleasantly call the Dark Ages. 
And it has been in decline ever since. Through the Renaissance in the 15th and 16th centuries, through the Enlightenment in the 18th century, we finally began to break free of the outdated and superstitious religion that is Christianity. And it has been in decline ever since. For the last 500 years, the story goes... The church has been shrinking as the modern, scientific, secular age has marched relentlessly forward. In short, we are on a one-way street that will inevitably end in a secular world where faith is dead and God is forgotten. Now, Those of us sitting here this morning may not buy into that entire storyline, but odds are that all of it, or at least some of it, is embedded in your thinking. Over the last 50 years, we have seen the steady decline of Christianity in America, and Europe is even further along on that journey. Most of Europe is very thoroughly secular, and we seem to be headed that way. Uh, Each year in America, thousands of churches close their doors, far more than are being planted year over year. And more and more young people are identifying as religious nuns and religious duns, meaning that they don't identify with any religion, any spirituality or faith system at all. So across the board, over the last 50 years, uh, faith is declining, church attendance is declining, and a a recent study that I read estimated that 25% of churches in America will not survive COVID-19 and be able to reopen on the other side. So this narrative of a one-way street uh, to a secular wasteland that is devoid of faith and religion seems to ring true with our reality and our felt experience over the last couple decades. The problem is that that narrative is false. It is not reflective of reality and it doesn't actually capture history as it's actually played out. In reality, Christianity did not peak in the dark ages and go into steady decline. In fact, if you study history, what you'll see is more of a boom and bust cycle over time across the Western world. There are high points and there are low points. Faith explodes and then over 50 to 100 years, it slowly begins to wane. And then lo and behold, when things seem to be on their last legs, when, when the church is on the verge of disappearing, revival comes. Renewal comes. God does something remarkable. A great awakening happens. In the 18th century, cultural elites predicted that religion would be dead and gone by the 19th century as in a non-existent thing of the past. But with the arrival of the 19th century came a massive worldwide awakening, which in America, at least, was followed several decades later by another incredible awakening or revival. 
And as those began to wane over the decades that followed, uh, once again, cultural elites, uh, influential atheists and agnostics predicted that religion would be dead by the early 1900s. But as we got into the early 1900s, it hadn't died. And then as we got into the 50s and 60s and to some extent the 70s, there was this swell of revival and awakening that defied every cultural trend and expectation and put America at its highest percentage of church attendance ever in its history. History does not speak of a long, slow, inevitable decline from the Dark Ages. In reality, what has happened throughout history is that the church gets to a low point, the secular world predicts that this is the end, and then what's left of the church, that remnant, gets on its knees and begins to pray. It begins to cry out to God. And as they do that, God meets them in that place where they've come to the end of themselves when human striving and human strategy will no longer work. And, and as we come into that place, then we see revival, then we see renewal. We have this narrative uh, that America was founded as this sort of pure, shining uh, Christian nation and that all the founding fathers were uh, devout Christians. Uh, and, and we've always been a Christian nation. We just kind of carry this story. We've always been a very, a very Christian people, but slowly over time, the modern forces of secularism uh, are, are inevitably wearing us down. But history tells a very different story. If you go back and look at early America, there were very dark periods characterized by depravity and a lack of faith. Uh, the southern United States, which we now call the Bible Belt, uh, actually before the Civil War was, very, was a very secular place. There was a, a total lack of faith in that region. But when awakening comes, when revival comes, a faith begins to explode across a population. A, a move of God that goes way beyond any human striving, beyond any human strategy. And it transforms the culture. History reveals boom and bust cycles. Awakening comes. Faith swells for several generations and then begins to wane as the pendulum swings back the other way, as people react against God and reject him, reject faith all over again. But as the pendulum swings out the other direction, there's always a remnant who cries out, who calls on God with fresh urgency, with fresh desire. God, it's now or never. There is no strategy available to us. There is nothing we can do in our own power to, to win the culture, to win the day. We need you. And each time we come to one of these low points, humans stop relying on themselves and turn wholly to God. Lord, it has to be you. 
And I would argue that we are once again coming to the end of ourselves. Remember that in the 50s and 60s, uh, we were experiencing the height of the biggest wave uh, to ever ripple across America in all of American history. But many of you know, as we moved into the 70s and beyond, there was a reaction against the majority culture. There was another cultural revolution. The pendulum began to swing back the other direction. And in came this new attitude, this new counterculture. Uh, Throw off religion. Throw off faith. Follow your desires. No matter how broken or twisted they might be, follow them. Be true to yourself. This This is true freedom. Be whoever you want. Use whatever substances you want. Sleep with whoever you want. This, this new cultural revolution began. And so from the 70s onward, as the pendulum swung, we saw less and less church attendance, less and less people expressing faith. Re- America has become increasingly secular in its thinking and its actions. And thus, when we look back, we can now point to 50, 60 years of data that seem to confirm the cultural myth that Christianity is moving toward its inevitable death and that it has been for 500 years. In reality, brothers and sisters, the tide is out. But what happens when you're standing on the beach and the tide is out, as in way out? Well, you know with a certain faith and confidence that the tide is going to march back in, that that forces are going to shift, that what's out there behind the waves is going to push back in again. And as Christianity wanes across the Western world, once again, the secular elites are predicting that this is the end, that the church will not survive This round of secular individualism and the rise of modern secular thought, it's done. But what I want to suggest is that this is the precise time in history that the remnant in the Western world is to be driven to its knees. That the remnant who remains is to cry out once more for a move of God over our neighborhoods, over our city, over our nation, over the Western world. And when you look back at history, what you'll see is that all God needs is a remnant. Over and over again, throughout the Old Testament, And the long, sad story of Israel, what you see is boom and bust cycles. Faith rises and then it wanes. Uh, But as faithfulness to God declines, as people turn increasingly to idols, you'll see this pattern as you read those pages, that there's always a remnant who cries out to God, that there's a small minority that laments over the state of the culture that laments the lack of faith, that laments the direction 
that their nation is headed. And God responds to this small praying minority and he invades the story of Israel, reversing trends and calling the nation back to himself, often in a very short period of time. The atmosphere changes and faith swells again. Over and over again, throughout the Old Testament, things hit this low point, and then you read this phrase that keeps reoccurring. It says, people once again began to call upon the name of of the Lord. And whenever you read that in the Old Testament, it's embedded with hope. And you almost know what's going to happen in the in the months that follow, in the years that follow, in the decades that follow. You know their culture is going to look different because people are once again calling on the name of the Lord. And you see the same thing in American history. Faith wanes The cultural elites predict the end of the church, but the remnant cries out and God moves in power. You can think of it this way, and I didn't invent this analogy, but I find it very helpful. Uh, You can think of this um, kind of spiritual cultural battle that we're in uh, like a sports game. Uh, Imagine the Seahawks before COVID-19 hit. Right? And so if you, if you picture that image in your mind, what you have is you have uh, 11 players on the field and then you have some extra players on the bench. That's the, that's the core, that's the team. But then if you zoom out further, what you have is this stadium uh, that is usually just packed with people who, who are, are screaming, who are getting behind the fans, who bring this excitement, this energy, this momentum uh, in. And then if you zoom out even further, you have all these people outside of the stadium. Several million people uh, just kind of living their lives in Seattle who might say, oh yeah, yeah, we're, you know, we're Seahawks fans, but we're just going to do our own thing. And, and you can use that as, as sort of, uh, you can think of Christianity in America in a similar way. Um, you've got millions of people who are cultural Christians who kind of tick the box. Who say, oh yeah, given the survey, I, I guess I'd kind of tick that box. I consider myself a Christian. But they're just kind of out there living their lives. They're very much uh, in the world and of the world. There's not a lot going on in their hearts, in their lives. There's not really a faith there. Just, oh yeah, I guess I'll tick that box. And then you've got uh, the fans in the seats who are people who show up uh, and maybe they're even excited to be there, but they're mostly there to cheer others on, uh, to to cheer on the team, to cheer on the, the core who's actually playing the game. They are uh, consumers. They're an audience. They might attend on a Sunday. They're in the stadium, but they're not necessarily in the game. And then you've got the 11 and their backups. And really, all eyes are on them. Uh, They're the ones who actually make the difference. They're the ones who shed blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, They're the ones who move the ball, who score the points, who make the difference between victory and defeat. And within this analogy, 
we've got millions of people in our country who are in the world and of the world, uh, fewer and fewer of whom are actually even bothering to tick the box that says, yeah, I, th- I think I'm a Christian, kind of culturally. Fewer and fewer people are identifying as Christians on a cultural level. And then on top of that, you've got uh, tens of thousands of people in the audience who are slowly leaving as well. Church attendance is on the decline. Less and less people are, quote, rooting for the church. Uh, We've sensed in the last few decades that the uh, sort of cultural favor is evaporating in our country. Less and less people are in the stands. Uh, To continue to use the the Seahawks analogy, uh, our 12th man audience is slowly walking away. We sense that loss of cultural momentum. But a remnant still remains. The players are still on the field. Those who who shed sweat, blood, and tears for the kingdom, a remnant on their knees. And it doesn't take much. Jesus had 12, and then 11. And he looked out on a dying world that was in bondage to Satan, sin, and death. And he looked at his dysfunctional 11, and he said, that's enough. That's enough. This is, this is all I need to change the world. And he looked out on the crowds that would one day call for his execution. He looked out on a culture that was hostile to him and his message, in which people were lost and wandering from God, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. A crowd, a culture, an atmosphere in which it seemed that no good seed could grow. And he turned to his disciples and he offered a new perspective. What if the harvest was actually plentiful? And we just needed to pray for more harvesters. He looked out on a spiritually dry land and he gave his disciples new eyes with which to see. He said, it's coming. The harvest is coming. This place is ripe. It's actually ready. And all I'm asking right now is for the remnant to pray. Eleven people. 12 people, 50 people, whatever it is, says start praying. Start believing. There's a world to be one for Christ. There's a culture that seems to be set against Christ and his kingdom. Yet Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. Right now, in this moment, counterintuitively, and so is our stadium's slowly empty as cultural Christianity wanes 
the battle rages on. There is still a game to be played, a game to be won. There's still a culture to be contended for, a fire to be started, and it doesn't take much. All it takes is a remnant on our knees. Not a remnant lulled to sleep by apathy and despair. Not a remnant so digitally distracted that they miss the plot line. Not a remnant who gives in to the myth of inevitable decline. Not a remnant that throws up their hands and caves to a narrative of the secular cultural elites. God is looking for a remnant who has come to the end of themselves and who is ready to cry out to him. A remnant who is ready to suit up and take the field even if the stadium is empty. The game is not over. The story has yet to be written. And the time is coming for the remnant of the Western Church to come before God once more and cry out, to take the field in prayer, to contend for the next renewal, the next revival, the next awakening, brought about by the prayers of the faithful. And that's exactly who we want to become. We officially launched the church uh, four years ago today on Labor Day weekends. And we started with prayer. And thus, every Labor Day weekend, we've devoted ourselves to prayer. And this Sunday is no different. At 8 a.m. this morning, uh, our community began 24-hour prayer, uh, which will run uh, right through the gathering and right through tonight into 8 a.m. Monday morning. And as we uh, commit to coming to God in prayer, we have at least one or two people who will be praying every hour continuously right through the night. But my uh, invitation to everyone in the community would be that we all spend whatever it is, an hour, two hours, three hours, out of the next 21 that we have left, um, in prayer, seeking God with this sense uh, of hope, of expectation. And we'll provide uh, some prayer points to kind of guide your prayer time. But the main thing that we want to pray for, really our heart behind this, is coming before God as a community and praying for nothing short than, than the renewal of our city, than the renewal of our nation, than the renewal of Western culture. We come to cry out to God once more that he would obliterate the false narrative of secularism that we've inherited and write a new story in our time, in our place, with our generation, that he would write a new story in our midst. So as 
the remnant, we come on our knees today and we begin praying this prayer. God, do it again. Just like you've done time and time again throughout American history, throughout Western history, throughout world history. Lord, do it again. Human striving and human strategy will never work. It won't get the job done. It won't win the culture. It won't win the day. Lord, we need you. We want to see renewal and revival in this place, in our city. And Lord, we're asking you to start with us. Let's pray. 